0: And welcome to the Giving Voice to Depression podcast, produced in partnership with Mental Health America of Wisconsin. We're your co-hosts, Bridget and Terry.
1: Each week, through intimate, candid conversations with guests, we explore different perspectives on and experiences of depression. We keep it real because the illness is real. We keep it hopeful because there truly is hope in spite of what depression tells you.
0: We are not experts or therapists. We are sisters and best friends who live with depression and have learned that hearing others speak openly and without shame makes it easier to believe depression is a common and treatable illness, not a personal failing. You are far from alone. Hi, Terry.
1: Hello, Bridget. So grief and depression are very different things, but they can look very similar. With both, people may cry feel depressed, have trouble sleeping, may not feel like doing anything, don't see much pleasure in life.
0: And according to a Psychology Today article titled, When Does Grief Become Depression? For some people who have previously struggled with acknowledged or unacknowledged depression, the death of a significant other can be the catalyst that brings depression to the foreground. It's something to keep an eye on in ourselves and in others who are grieving. Today's guest recently and suddenly
1: lost her husband of 20 years. And in our hometown of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, it was front-page news. Joe Bartolotta was the co-founder of a group of popular restaurants, a hospitality empire that bears his family name. About 2,300 people attended his funeral, which had to be held in a theater to accommodate their many employees and friends. His wife, Jennifer, our guest today,
0: eulogized him. We had been trying to coordinate schedules for an interview weeks before her husband's death. Jennifer had been open about a time in her life where she was affected by depression, and we planned to focus on the ways that she managed her mental health. But that focus changed on April 23rd. So, less than three months after a death that changed her world, she invited us into her husband's study to talk. Because she believes Having a purpose is key to her recovery. Here is Jennifer Bartolotta giving her voice to depression.
1: If you Google Jennifer Bartolotta, the first picture that shows up is her forehead to forehead with Oprah, the two of them staring into each other's eyes. Yeah, that Oprah. Jennifer is positive, generous of spirit, and kind of a big deal. Not that she'd ever say it. From birth she had a strong sense of self.
2: I had come out of the womb as an overly confident, more got more than my fair share of confidence in life, and that stayed with her throughout her life. Until I made the decision to move to Milwaukee. It was in 2002, and it was his house and his family and his ex-wife and his girls and his business and his town. Mm-hmm. So I had a really difficult time connecting and I decided that I was gonna try to be somebody I wasn't. What I've learned is any time that you just can't show up authentically and courageously yourself, you make a mess. And so I made a mess.
1: That mess manifested in ways familiar to many of us with depression.
2: There were days that I spent in bed. We had two puppies at the time, and one night I distinctly remember laying in bed and I could hear them munching on furniture and I didn't have the capacity to care. It wasn't that I didn't care. I didn't have the capacity to care.
1: Fortunately, her husband did have the capacity, and he made very clear that he cared very deeply and was concerned. Jennifer's going to mention the Feast of the Seven Fishes. That's an Italian-American holiday meal with dishes of fish and other seafood.
2: In retrospect, I wasn't myself, but it took him pointing it out to me. And it was Christmas Eve, Mm -hmm. about 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and it's always a rush to get over to his family's because they do the Feast of the Seven Fishes. And so you're wrapping gifts for kids, and you're making food, or you're picking up food, and there's just always this stuff going on. And I got in the shower, and I remember I was crying in the shower. And Joe had gotten in, in the shower ahead of me, and he was completely dressed. And when he heard me in the shower, he got in the shower with all of his clothes on, and he just held me. And I started crying, and he said... You're not yourself. I feel like you need to get some help.
1: So, when you are told by your husband something's wrong and you need to get help, how did you receive that?
2: We had a very honest. Um, we had a very honest relationship. I mean, this is a guy who one time told me I was thick. <laughs> he's like, you know, sturdy. And I said, Joe, just stop talking. <laughs> um, but we respected each other and we trusted each other. And so whatever he said to me, I knew came with good intention, right? right. And so, and the delivery of it. I mean, what guy do you know would get in the shower with the clothes on when we we're trying to rush to get out of the door to help me, you know? Mm-hmm. So there was, um, the only way to receive it was with gratitude.
1: So Jennifer began the hard work of owning and managing her depression. Her journey started with a psychologist and an antidepressant and has evolved into a more holistic approach.
2: I am not anti-pharmaceutical at all, and I know that we can have chemical imbalances, and I know that there is a place for pharmacology. I believe strongly, though, that there are lots of things that we can do if we are living with intention to be able to support ourselves Mm -hmm. in ways that I had not done before in my life.
1: Jennifer has developed and committed to daily physical, mental, and spiritual practices that she says keep her grounded and healthy.
2: So two years ago, I began this daily spiritual practice. I read Eastern and Western theology. There are about eight books I read from every day. Um, I journal. I do the eight brocades, which is a part of a Qigong practice in the morning. I play a tank drum. And then I journal and I meditate. And that process takes me about an hour. And there are some days when I don't get all that in, but then I make sure for sure the meditation's happening, even if it's five minutes later in the day. That's kind of a non-negotiable for me, the meditation piece.
1: And Jennifer has another practice, one she's done for the past 20 or 25
2: years. I try to make somebody that I don't know smile every day. Hmm. You never know who needs it. You never know how you're going to affect somebody when you see them, right? Like, not past them, but I see you. I see that you're a human being in there. Is that harder to do in your current
1: easier place? Easier to do because easier. you understand the need
2: more? Or um, why? Maybe, or maybe because selfishly it provides me the juice to keep moving.
1: Moving these days is very and very understandably, much, much different.
2: It takes a lot of courage to get dressed and go out right now. You know, I think it's important to not deny this. I think it's important to um, suffer. It's such a bad word, right? I don't like saying I'm suffering through this, but I'm living through it. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm living through it best I can. And every day is different.
1: In the 70s, in what's often referred to as the classic studies of bereavement, Dr. Paula Clayton found that depressive symptoms are often present and sometimes last several months after the death of a loved one. One distinction between depression and grief is that in the case of grief, there's the ability to be consoled. Has grief brought you
2: back into your depression? I... (sighs) It's a great question. I don't feel like I'm depressed. Um, I should say that. What I should say is I don't feel like I felt then. I wake up every day grateful to be here. I wake up every day looking forward to what this place holds for me. I'm sad. I'm really sad. Had you tried to tell me how sad I would be... I would have looked at you like you were not from here. That said, you know, Milwaukee is an amazing community. And despite having lost a person that loved me the most, and the person that I love the most, I've never felt more loved in my life.
1: Another commonly cited distinction between depression and grief is that while depression often convinces us we will always feel the way we feel when in its grips... Grief often allows the belief it will lessen and that in time we will be able to experience some joy again.
2: I I, I know I will get through this. There are days that it's really hard. Um, I would not be so sad had it not been so awesome. You know, there's a yin and a yang to everything. What is it? Um, equal and opposite reaction. Um, so... My equal reaction in the past was joy and love and a very full life and a very happy life and a lot of laughter. And so the equal and opposite reaction is this place over here. Had it not been for a daily spiritual practice, I might be in bed right now. I might be really depressed right now. Jennifer
1: defines herself differently, but still decidedly on that same far end of emotion spectrum.
2: I'm not dark, but for sure I'm off. For sure I'm in my own head too much. For sure I don't have anybody, you know, Jen, what are you doing? What are you thinking?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Bad idea. You know, I don't have I don't have that voice. Mm-hmm. And so I've reached out this week to a couple of people, you know, I don't need to do that. And I don't, I don't need to judge therapy by any stretch of the imagination. I know what's wrong. I lost my husband. I don't need to do a deep dive into my past. I need somebody just to help me right now with some coping skills. And asking for help seems
1: natural and fine and healthy to you. Yes. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I, uh, I'm a big believer in no magic silver bullets. I just don't think that that's how this works. Mm-hmm. I don't think that there's any one thing that fixes things, and I don't think that there's any one thing that breaks things, right? I think that it's a, it's a series of smaller things um, that, that stabilize us or destabilize us. And so for me, you know, I continue to do what I know I need to do to support my spiritual and my physical self. But clearly my mental self needs some help, and it's not something I'm managing well right now. And so I have no problem saying I I need help.
1: Jennifer also remembers and reminds us it's not always easy to recognize or act on the need for help when we're in it, which is why she wishes for all of us the gift of an honest friend.
2: I think we shy away from being honest. We're afraid of hurting people's feelings. And part of that I think is not knowing how to communicate. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think if you have relationships that are really wide and really deep and you don't need a lot of them, but that somebody serves that purpose for you that can look you in the eye and say, you know, Mm -hmm. something's off. Let's talk about it. What's up with you? You know, um, And I think you have to choose that carefully, right? That's a gift. It's a gift to have somebody care about you so much that they're in tune with you enough to be able to notice when you're off, even a little bit.
0: Wow. I'm just thinking of the, like she said, the gift of truth and the gift of presence and the beauty that she had that in her partner. And that when
1: we're asked often, you know, what are the things to look for? What are the symptoms? What are the warning signs? And the easiest way to answer that is a change. And as she said, even if you're just a little bit off to say, hey, what's up? Let's talk about it. Something's wrong. Something's off. And that is the beginning of healing. That's the beginning of being able to unburden, you know, whatever secret you've been carrying intentionally or not that you're hurting.
0: Yeah. I'd like to quote again from that Psychology Today article that we mentioned earlier and that we will link to. And it ends with saying, if you're in the process of coping with the sudden death of a loved one or the lengthy grieving process associated with terminal illness, here are a few suggestions. Expect to feel depressed. Loss of appetite, trouble sleeping and sadness are all part of the normal grieving process and are best not to be interfered with. They need to have their time. Expect grief to wax and wane over time. You may feel fine, in quotes, one day, only to slip back deep into grief the next. To build and use a support network, not just for the early days, but an overall extended period of time, for as long as you need it. And if you experience thoughts of depression, serious weight loss, or are unable to perform daily functions such as getting out of bed or going to work more than the occasional day or at the beginning, consider seeking additional help. Get some professional help for yourself. And Jennifer's suggestion of a daily practice, you know, is just a great life raft to buoy you through the hard times. And it takes, you know, she. it sounds like she had her practice in motion when she needed it, you know, she didn't just pick it up then. Mm-hmm. So then it's a trusted friend as well as a buoy, which is really a beautiful gift to give yourself.
1: Mm, very nice. Next week, we'll switch up our format a bit with a Q&A. A therapist will answer questions from a 63-year-old man who contacted us for information about having and supporting a partner with depression. Questions he wishes he'd known to ask years ago. Thank you again, Jennifer, for sharing your time and your story with us during such a hard time. And thank you, Bridget.
0: Goodbye, Terry. Bye, Bridge. We truly hope that our podcast brings a little more understanding, helps you better articulate your experience of depression or better understand how to support someone else's.
1: We invite you to join us for daily posts on the Giving Voice to Depression Facebook page and on Twitter and Instagram at Voice Depression.
0: It is a comfort to be among fellow travelers on depression's dark road. And remember, if you're struggling, speak up. If someone else is, listen up.